You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to this, the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is my friend, William Gallagher. Hello. Good to be here. End of the week. Nice bit of chatty. All stuff going on, isn't there? Loads to talk about. Well, there is. This is this is what I'm going to think of today as Keyboard Insider. <laughs> Do you know, I would subscribe to Keyboard Insider. I like that. I, yes. I know you would. And and I would too. But it's it's different because I would subscribe to like Synthesizer Keyboard Insider. Mm. I would be all about the, the musical keys. Whereas I have the suspicion that you would subscribe to a, a periodical all about typing keyboards. I am QWERTY boy slash a Zerty boy when I'm on holiday. So, yes. so you're not Dvorak or any of the other layouts? No, no truck with Dvorak at all. No, none of that. Intriguing. Oh, man. I take it with with QWERTY, and I can't think of how to extend this. Yeah, line. that's a difficult one to come up with. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where are you going with Azerty or Die? What do you mean? <laughs> I have no idea what we're talking about with that. But I do know why I brought it up. I brought it up because you got to review something that I have been trying to get a hold of for five years. Yes. Longer, well, actually. Longer uh, than five com- years. don't really want to commit myself here in case it's one of many things that I could be. No, no, reviewing. no. no Which but, is this one? This one, you, you published this thing and it says, the text blade keyboard is superb, but you'll have to be patient. I've been patient, <laughs> William. I've been very patient. So tell me, tell me why we reviewed something that people can't have. Well, actually, this is a serious issue. I spent a long time uh, on this. It is a keyboard that is in practically every way fantastic, but it is much delayed uh, for it. So part of the story was about why there are delays. Uh, a lot of it is about, well, why should you care anyway? And in the, I think there are so many reasons why it's delayed that I think all make sense and all stack up but ultimately it does mean it is several years uh, now it's actually 2015 that it officially went on sale so you were probably talking to them before launch and I talked to them a long time after we're still at the stage where you can go to the way tools website and order a text blade as it's called and you will get one it just not for a long time and we don't know when and actually, the sole thing, I, I, I mean, apart from the frustration of waiting, the only thing I, I, I dislike really is the ordering website. Uh, it's confusing. You think you'll get it sooner than you really will. Uh, you tend to be, there are a lot of people who have them, uh, but they're kind of almost like testers and certainly some journalists like me. It's not gone on what's called general release yet. Uh, I, and I tell you, the moment it does, I've got one and I'm buying more when they come out. They're that good. Really? That so, committed yeah. to it? Okay. Yeah, so I want some for friends as well. Yeah. Something something you'd written in your piece here says that uh, the money from these orders is not what's funding the company, that, that they mm. previously started a firm that produces 3D scanning tools, including the one used by Lucasfilm to recreate Peter Cushing's face in Rogue One. So it's the investments yes. from founders and friends and and things like this that are funding the development of TextBlade. Uh, reportedly so, yes. Which I think is a good thing. I mean, uh, if it were purely off the pre-orders, I mean, they, I this is my description rather than this. I think it's the Tesla model where you put down your money in advance and eventually you get it. Uh, plus, I think um, I 
believe Tesla does this. I know Wade Tools does. At any moment, at any instant, you can say, no, I want my money back, and you get it back straight away. Uh, so right. there's that side. It's not like a crowdfunding thing. So I was I was particularly keen when I talked to them to see what the financial basis of all this was. And, and I, I must say I'm not a financial journalist, so I don't uh, claim great knowledge, but it was a concern uh, I had, and they satisfied me, with me as they took through how things worked. I mean, some of it confidential, but all of it making sense to me. Yeah. Right. Now, it's it's just weird for me that you'd go from 3D scanning with your customers being uh, movie houses and special effects shops to making a keyboard. Well, funny, actually, it doesn't to me because they're both uh, rem- about remarkable precision. And, and I think actually with the keyboard, we're so used to keyboards, we don't think... Uh, of the incredible small details for it. Really, uh, there are lots of reasons for delays, but it is actually the precision details of it. I mean, there have been changes to how Apple and Google uh, implement the Bluetooth standard because of this keyboard, which isn't out yet. Uh, these makers have talked with Apple and Google and everybody's worked together over the just the most incredible small details to get this right. So scanning and this, uh, in a way, actually, uh, they seem similar to me. Right, but in in terms of entirely very different customers and in terms of entirely different revenue streams and and cost of goods and retail prices, you know, it seems to me that yeah. if you'd been in the movie industry or selling things to effects houses that you're you're talking on the order of much higher dollars kind of thing than suddenly realize I'm not sure consumer uh, hardware. I, it just it just feels weird to me as all it's a different shift. But anyway, so there's this keyboard and mm-hmm. it's a bizarre little thing. If I'm trying to describe it, it is three pieces that magnetically attach to each other to then act as the keyboard. And so you can take them apart and stack them and, and it's very portable in that respect. That's it. And the little holder you get to stack them together doubles up as a stand for uh, a phone, for a tablet. Uh, actually quite, I put my, uh, I have one of the original 12.9 inch, uh, iPads and the, the tiny little stand actually supports it. It was, Amazingly is well. it, is this at all fiddly? Is it at all you know? Is this is this a little convoluted because it's got the different pieces that snap together or adhere no, together actually, and stand? Is it just all a little bit kind of kind of? I don't think about it anymore. Uh, you take the three out. Uh, you pop them down on the table, and the, it's actually the three parts. Is this thing called the space blade, which is effectively the space bar? It does more than that, but it's like the space bar. And then you have sort of half the QWERTY keyboard is one blade, and the other half is the other. Those two blades snap together and snap onto the uh, tech, uh, the space blade magnetically, and it's just. At first, you notice it more because it's actually quite pretty. It all lights up and you can see that things are going on. After that, you just forget. You've, it's in your hands and you're typing before you've thought about it. Yeah. Is it at all difficult to type on? Uh, it took me a long time to get very used to it. I was uh, immediately able to type quite a lot. Um, I, I, actually, to this day, I still find there are certain key combinations that I tend to get wrong on it. And so that's mildly frustrating, but I feel like that's my fingers rather than it. Uh, and also, I think more in that line, obviously it's a keyboard so you can type on it, uh, but it's meant to replace all sorts of things. So rather than ever taking your hand off to find a mouse or a trackpad, you can do uh, cursor movements, you can do selection, you can do copy-paste, uh, a dozen things like that with just the right combination of keystrokes. 
And these keystrokes come in that like layers. There's the typing, then there's the cursor movement, then there are media controls, there are Bluetooth things, and there are so many combinations of this that several months in, I still am not used to all of them. Uh, but in every case, it's what I'm using I really like, and I add a bit more when I need it. Love this. Intriguing. Type, I mean, yeah. with, with keyboards, it's it's like... You kind of want that to get out of the way and just type, but I guess it's if this works for you, that's interesting. Well, I think I'm, I'm as still, I get used to I'm, it, they do go away. The, the cursor movement stuff. That I mean, you you hold down two keys, you press the letter, and you're moving the cursor. That is so in me now that when I move to any other keyboard, I I have to unlearn it because it isn't there. I, so one thing I wish every keyboard had uh, would be steel from TextPlate to do this thing. Yeah. Intriguing. Well, I I am still interested in the thing. It looks, it looks really interesting to me. And originally, you know, five years ago or so, maybe even longer, they they'd said that there was going to be sort of a typing tutor to work with it. Do they have any kind of training for it? There's a software app that comes with it that teaches you. Uh, it's you know the way on the iPhone and iPad you can have uh, alternative keyboards. Well, you can right. have that with this, and uh, you can actually see as you're trying to reach these key combinations, the little thing will show you on screen what you are doing and will then type. And there's also like a sandbox area, they call it, where you can just try things out. Um, the software app for it, actually, I don't think it's as nicely designed as the keyboard itself, but it's very powerful and immense numbers of options. So I do tend to spend a lot of time sort of playing about in there as I teach myself more and more of the keyboard. Yeah. Very cool. Speaking about keyboards, mm -hmm. let's talk about MacBook Pro. Yay. Your favorite keyboard and mine the MacBook Pro, right? I actually do like last the MacBook time, keyboard more than you do. But, uh, <laughs> well, last time we were talking about the Butterfly keyboard and we were talking about uh, Joanna Stern's piece on the Wall Street Journal. Mm. And Ming-Chi Kuo wrote a, note, a research note that predicts that the long-awaited MacBook Pro with a larger display won't arrive until the first half of 2021. Yes. And that it will use mini LEDs as the backlight. And very likely have wide color gamut and high contrast. Now, all of those things are very cool, but I know that people who are not fans of the current MacBook Pro keyboard are probably wondering if it will have a new keyboard. Mm -hmm. Do we know anything? Nope. Oh, okay. Right. Not a bit. I mean, it, what we can talk about are reasonable predictions, right? A reasonable prediction would say that Apple has been doing three iterations of the butterfly keyboard, that they could easily be expected to to quadruple down on it and make a fourth version, mm -hmm. right? Because the things that they get out of having that keyboard is because it has shorter amounts of travel, that it allows them to to pack things a little tighter in the space. They get to have a I thinner think it's laptop. It's funny. Uh, uh, the text player we just mentioned is this portable keyboard. I mean, size, it does lots of things, but size comes first. It is tiny, but the travel on it is considerably more than on the MacBook keyboard. I do think that's interesting. But um, yeah, you think they'll go beat? You think they will go deeper, even though there's the fourth time's the charm? It's, I think so. I mean, the, the other thing that we saw was we saw a patent where they were talking about replacing it with a sheet of glass and using the Taptic engine to mm. generate key feel. And in that way, it just becomes more or less a touchscreen kind of thing, which goes back to the roots of, of touchscreen where 
right before they, they worked on the iPhone, they bought a company called Fingerworks. And Fingerworks made PowerBook keyboard replacements that were touch panels. No, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they uh, had a little tiny flexible printed circuit card that went from the side of the keyboard and wrapped around the machine to plug into its USB port rather than trying to use the internal keyboard wiring. All right. And, and they had their own driver and you could do multi-touch on the keyboard. And you could put down little overlays over the touch panel to change the arrangement of, of where you would put your fingers down to expect keys to be. And so the idea of this, this patent kind of goes back to that and the roots of that as an idea, except, you know, giving it haptic feedback by using the Taptic engine. And sorry, when did you say they bought, uh, this company? Fingerworks? Yeah. Oh, uh, 2003 something, maybe? Right, so they may have something. used that technology in something since then. Well, that that technology made it into the um, into the iPhone. That's how we got the touchscreen. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I wasn't thinking in that route, but of course it is. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. They they took that touch panel. They put a screen on front on in front of it, basically, and made the touchscreen. Right. Those crazy so, people. What will they try next? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fingerworks was was uh, it was based in uh, Newark, Delaware. It was uh, founded by uh, Jeff White, who had been a Hewlett Packard guy, and he'd been running a biotherapeutics company that he'd sold, and and then uh, then they made Fingerworks, and it looks like Apple bought them in two thousand five, actually. Right. Okay. So two years before the iPhone launch. So you can say that's uh, oh quite a long history of this sort of stuff. And, and okay, can you give me the odds? What do you think the odds are that we will get a, a brand new, radically different keyboard? In small, okay, in is this very very small? I, I, Apple knows how many issues they have with the keyboard. Yes, Apple knows that they have a reputation problem with the keyboard that's larger than the number of actual problems they encounter with the keyboard. Sure, I'm sure. Yes. Right? Yeah. But that reputation problem is a reputation problem among nerds like myself and people who read Apple Insider or now read the Wall Street Journal. But for the most part, it hasn't really become a widespread thing where people on the street, you know, pe- people on the street um, knew that iPhones had a battery problem because that was widespread and lots of people got iPhones. People on the street don't really know that, that the Mac has a keyboard problem per se. Does that make sense? Sure. Let's keep it secret. Boy. Okay. It's it's not that it's a secret, but but don't tell anyone. But it's not that it's a secret. Oh. It's just that it's one of those things that only really resonates if you have the MacBook and have the problem. Yes, as I think I said to you before, uh, even one going wrong is 100% failure rate if you're the one who has it. But other yep. than that, it's not going to get widely known. Uh, so... <laughs> I'm not sure that we're going to see any difference worth speaking of in a bigger MacBook. It's going to be well, bigger. I mean, yes, but if we're talking about something that's 16 and 16 and a half inches on the diagonal or up to as much as 17 inches possible, we had 17-inch PowerBooks in the old days. We had 17-inch MacBook Pros for a little while there. and I had a 17-inch PowerBook. It was my only machine for... Uh, a few years, uh, and I liked it very much at the time, but I don't really fancy it now. Um, so, so think about now how much smaller it can be. First of all, 
you're you're designed by this defined by the screen size. The base of the machine is defined by how large the screen is. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if you can reduce the borders, right now they've got about a half inch border or a centimeter border all the way around the screen. If you can reduce that border and make it nearly borderless, then you can make the screen larger while retaining about the same physical size. Right? Yes. Yeah. And you can do you can also expect it to be thinner because it doesn't have to be as thick, especially since you've got all this area to spread out within. Okay. Yes. So, right. yes. yes. So, so technically, instead of a 17-inch machine weighing 10 pounds like it used to in the old days, you could have a 17-inch machine that weighed, let's say, 5 pounds, which puts it back into the, being the same weight as the 15-inch nominally, I right? I can't Four remember. Or five pounds. Uh, I remember liking the keyboard on my 17-inch. It was on a metal keys. Uh, I can't remember if it was any bigger than other ones. Uh, there was the 12-inch MacBook or PowerBook, and I remember that. I have a visible I had that one, yeah. Very nice machine. Uh, that was slightly cramped keyboard. Uh, but I'm thinking... No, the no, way... they were full-size keys. They were full-size keys on the 12-inch. Well, they weren't as wide as they yeah, were. Yeah, they were. On the 17-inch. Okay. But I have one. I have one right here. <laughs> I'm holding it up to you. Can't you see it? No. Over the microphone? Bizarrely, I can't. I, <laughs> can you see mine? This is not going well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, right now isn't it the case that uh the um i'm sorry i get mixed up in the sizes of the current macbooks is a 15 inch and the smaller one they yes they're bigger and smaller but they have 30. exactly the same keyboard in yeah it. so so what the old 12 inch mac powerbook did was was that they removed the spaces between the keys they packed them in a little bit tighter they were still full-size keys oh, but well, they packed but they packed them in a little bit tighter, and then they removed speakers from the side so that the keyboard went right up to the edge of the machine. Okay. Wow. Because that's how you had to package things to get as much size reduction as you possibly could. So what do I think this machine is actually going to be? Well, I think this machine is is going to have greater resolution because you've got that much more screen to work with. It's going to have, like we said, wide color gamut and high contrast. It's 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 really going to be something impressive um mm-hmm. don't don't know much more than that but i do expect them to continue going down the path of trying to refine the butterfly keyboard okay you said higher resolution you don't i mean i'm just throwing this out there now we have this um 6k display coming are they going to get a 6k resolution into a macbook Go on, say yes. Not not uh, no but i mean currently the largest macbook pro is a 15-inch display that has a resolution of 2880 by 1800. And you're saying that should be enough for anybody. Stop being greedy. I'm I'm saying that's that's the current thing, and it's cool and all, but but there are higher resolutions out there, and oh, okay. they're higher. You know, you you could do a, a 4K resolution; it'd be larger than that. Hmm. 4K MacBook Pro. Why not? It doesn't have to be 6K. It doesn't have to be 5K. But if you're making the big one, certainly you'd want to take advantage of that extra screen size. Yes. Um, yes. So who will buy this, do you think? People with loads of money. No, okay. I would I would think that it would go to uh, people. Well, so there's always a class of people that feel they need to have the newest and latest show off. So there's that customer segment. There's also, I would think, video production because, mm. you know, you've always been able to use Final Cut to, to do sort of an offline edit and then give the edit decision list back to the machine that's got enough horsepower to do the actual render to the clips. Yes. And so there, there, it makes sense for people to use a machine like that 
to create the edit decision list and and edit offline, right? Yeah, absolutely. Plus, you can't get Final Cut Pro on an iPad, so this all makes sense. Yes, I think so. Okay. What if it's just the very best machine for making movies and TV shows, which coincidentally ties into something else Apple's doing now? Really? What are they doing now? Uh, I've heard something about Apple and TV, and I expect that they're doing production on that. Okay. Well, that's nice. It's good that they're Isn't branching it? out at last. Yes. Like, they make a Mac for the people that they've hired to produce the TV shows. Why not? <laughs> they think- know exactly who they're going to sell it to. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> And none of these people will use Avid's new media editor at all. I see your point. Yes. Okay. Right. Sorry, Avid, Avid just came what, out with this gorgeous new thing. I don't even know what it runs on, but I'm guessing it's not Mac, so I would have heard about it. And it's I a mean, little bit beyond my price range. Yeah. Wouldn't you think they'd be using Adobe Premiere? And supposed to Avid? I mean, wow, Avid. Yeah. I haven't thought of Avid in ages. Watch it. We're going to get listener email telling us all about how Avid is the most wonderful thing ever, and I should have obviously thought of Avid. Yes, you were <laughs> going to get emails about that. I'm not unpro Avid. I haven't used it enough really to say about it, but I'm I'm conscious that the new one sounds brilliant. Yeah, so, and I'm still uh, options varieties. I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I am still waiting for one of those things to be iOS-based or or compatible so that we can see what happens when you have an iPad Pro and can do real production on it, or even just create the edit decision list on it. I'd be willing to give that a go, yes. Yeah. I'm surprised, actually, that I'm less interested than you in the the larger MacBook, because I used to love one, and uh, although I, I do run down my iPad incredibly every day, I would have said I was more a Mac person than iOS. And yet it's just, it's not exciting me the way, say, the next iPad Pro, uh, which I expect will have OLED screens. Uh, they're interesting me more than these are. Who knows why? You're changing, William. Yes. But is it for the better? Don't go changing to try and please me. Okay. I promise you I will not do that. <laughs> okay. <sighs> now, I, I have bad news for Angela. Yes, what? What? Amazon Yes. employs thousands of people around the world. This part you knew, and that's not disappointing. <laughs> the disappointing yes. part, the bad news part is that they employ thousands of people around the world to listen, transcribe, and annotate audio clips recorded by Amazon Echo devices. Okay. And you're thinking I should be self-conscious now of how many times uh, Angela's Echo Dot has heard me call it Siri by mistake and try to get it to do things that it can't do, like play music really, really well. Yes, I take your point there. That could be embarrassing. They are eavesdropping on you. Didn't we know that? Really? Isn't that kind of on the written on the box or something? Uh, no, not really. I mean... There's. It, it's always been suspected that, but by by the paranoid among us, that that Amazon was listening in, that humans were listening in. Amazon does not inform customers that recordings are actually heard by employees. The company's website says user requests are applied to train our speech recognition and natural language understanding systems. It doesn't say that humans are doing that. Not to. Uh disagree but let me throw devs advocate stuff the number of times you call somewhere and you know it's being recorded for training and purposes and stuff like that isn't this in a way much the same 
No, because you're reminded of that every time you call somewhere. Point. I'm also suddenly really conscious of the things that could be overheard. I mean, I, well, maybe this is where my mind goes, but what if somebody I mean, in Amazon's office hears a crime being committed? What do you I was going to get to that. I, well, so that's a real problem. I mean, obviously, Amazon doesn't care when you're asking when you're asking Angela's Echo to play Taylor Swift for you. Okay, well, it might shrug a bit, but okay, yes. It's I mean, not they, move you know, yes. right. Yeah. But two workers are reported to say they heard what they believe to be an instance of sexual assault. Oh, um, my goodness, really? I just made that up, and that that's really... Wow, okay. Well, yeah. uh, do we know what they did? Uh, I mean, could they... What Amazon Amazon constructed policies to deal with distressing audio clips. Um, two employees who sought help when they stumbled upon such snippets were told that it was not Amazon's responsibility to take action. Hang on. So Amazon's policy... Is to look after the people who've heard the distressing clips, which is good, but uh, stuff the person who made the distressing clip and who. But, whoa, okay. Well, uh, for, a, first of all, we don't really know what "look after them" means, right? We don't know that they actually what they do to take care of those those uh, employees who've heard these distressing clips. All we know is that they constructed policies to deal with distressing audio clips. What? Right. Uh, yes, but they're doing something with those people. And okay, they're looking after their stuff in no. some way. That's good. No, but not totally, necessarily. No, they, better they, than not looking after their stuff. But my concern is not the staff; it's the people being sexually assaulted over this. Yes, yeah. uh, and and Amazon is not doing a thing for that. Okay, that's. Uh, I didn't think this was terribly serious at first, and I'm I'm going deeply concerned. Um, and I have still no idea. What to do about it? Um, does Apple do anything similar? It must be training uh, voice recognition somehow. Does Apple listen okay. as well? No. Apple also employs a human review process to improve Siri. In a, in a white paper that they published, and, and we have the PDF link for that, it's called the iOS Security Guide. Mm. Um, Apple notes that Siri saves voice recordings so that the recognition system can utilize them to better understand the user's voice. Now, like Amazon, the recordings are stripped of identifiable information. Um, Apples are assigned a random device identifier. They're saved for six months, over which time the system can tap into the data for learning purposes. After the six-month period, the identifier is erased. The clip may be saved at that point for use by Apple in improving or developing Siri for up to two years, at which point it's erased. Now, Alexa listens more than Siri listens. Alexa listens for the wake word, you know, hey, Alexa. But uh, it also is listening to see if there's something that it can contribute to sort of as a follow-on conversation. You know, you'll you'll make a request and then you'll say something else and it will try and use that second thing that didn't wasn't prefaced by, hey, Alexa, to try and build a conversational response. Okay, but it has and been triggered, so, so, yeah. But, but it is listening more than Siri listens. Siri, you have to be more intentional. And... You know, we we don't know that Apple employs that many humans to review Siri and how much is actually being listened. We just know that it's being saved for six months, and after six months, the identifier has been taken away as well. Here, they have thousands of people listening to all kinds of things. So, just to put a positive spin on this, what you're saying is everybody should play this podcast in front of their Alexa speakers so that we, you know, increase the leadership, leadership, the listenership at Amazon. I like where you're coming from. I'm I'm in favor of increasing listenership and leadership 
We can do both of those things. (laughs) I'm on board, William. (laughs) But yeah, so what happens with with the Echo is that when they they hear people discussing sensitive information, the workers at Amazon are instructed to mark the clip as critical data and move on rather than listen and process it. Okay. Well, as long as there's a workflow in progress, I see your point. Yeah. Now, Amazon, like I said, never informs customers that these recordings are, are heard by employees. So, kind of, I, I, some people feel creepy about this. Mm-hmm. I, for example, keep the Alexa, keep the Amazon Echo device that I have here unplugged, and only plug it in when I need to test something. Okay. Uh, we don't tend to use it much, but it is around. I um, don't use it anywhere near as much as my home pub, but that's just chance of what we do. I think. Yeah, I would feel a lot more comfortable using a HomePod personally. Recently, like uh, a couple of days ago, Amazon and Google came out swinging against an Illinois bill saying that a company is not allowed to remotely turn on a microphone without the owner's permission. This was a a state bill for the state legislature of Illinois. And the th- this was uh, SB 1719, microphone-enabled devices. And Amazon and Google had talking points against it. Uh, barring tech, tech platforms from secretly recording you in your home. So, you know, they, they said exist, their talking points were things like existing laws already address personal communications recording, um, that, that this bill makes Illinois' personal communication recording law worse for consumers because it contains extremely prescriptive requirements around disclosures and consent. Um, this one-size-fits-all approach is flawed because it assumes the existence of an interface where information can be presented and consumers can make choices. Uh, definitions of the bill make it... Much of its application unclear. The definition of user does not make it clear who should receive notice. Microphones can't distinguish between voices, and there should not determine who's the user and who's the owner of the device. And the language is very broad and does not distinguish between microphones and devices and actual phones used for communication. Although, honestly, I, I'm okay with that last one. Phone companies shouldn't be able to turn on the, the microphone on a phone either. So their talking point doesn't quite resonate with me through that. Um, the other point, the other talking point that they had was against the bill barring undisclosed remote activations of microphones by tech platforms. So it says here, it creates significant legal liability for companies and adds a backdoor for private right of action. SB 1719 allows for enforcement through the Consumer Fraud and Abuse Act instead of through the Attorney General's enforcement. This allows for a path to private litigation, which can lead to frivolous class action litigation against Illinois businesses of all size. The language allows for company terms of service agreements to be void and unenforceable, even if a failure to disclose is deemed accidental. This leaves a company completely open to legal liability, even on issues not pertaining to this bill. Now, you could take the opposite opinion. You know, what about Google and Amazon's right to hear every private conversation? You know, why why should they be left out? I'm actually getting this from Matthew Stoller's Twitter feed. He is a uh, person on Twitter who had these salient points and raised this to attention. And he's right, you know, there this is important, and he likes these talking points as well, because they're a little bit absurd. And... There are definitely interesting questions, right? Who, who gets to define consent? Is it the owner? Is it the user? How is the owner different from the user? We, we don't know. And they don't know either because they can't distinguish by voice. But we do have in this country one-party states, one-party consent states, where one part side of the recording can consent. I don't remember if Illinois is a one-party consent state or not. But the, the secret microphone bill was was pretty much gutted. There are no private rights of action. There is no ability to hold a manufacturer liable, even if Google secretly puts microphones inside other products. Um, basically, it's just more terms of service that will get tacked on at the end of a click-through agreement. It's kind of nuts. I 
I wish that it had been able to go forward without being neutered like that, because I think that would have put the responsibility on companies as opposed to on the consumer to decide if they're being spied upon or not. You know, it would have it would have given people some protection against microphones being remotely enabled. And as it is, unless you're an Apple user, you, you don't have a lot of those protections. Android, you can remotely enable. Google and Amazon will happily remotely enable. They all say that they're doing it only on the wake word, and it seems so far to be true. But his, his, the story is that Amazon has no um, no processes for reporting if they hear a crime. So this is a really difficult situation, really difficult world. All right. Well, that's the time we have. This has been the Apple Insider Podcast. William, where can people find you on the internet? I live at William at uh, AppleInsider.com. And I also pop up on Twitter. Talking about keyboards a lot recently. Can't imagine why. No telling. No telling at all. I'm at VMarks on Twitter at Victor at AppleInsider.com. And I want to thank you all so much for having joined us. And we will be back next week with more. <laughs>